0: Hi, and welcome to the Health is Powers podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anna Esperham, and this is your number one podcast that supports women with deep healing using your own intuition as a guide, and I'm here to help. Since I'm also an integrative pain doc and now chronic pain coach, among other things, I have a new coaching program called Pain-Free Life Academy, and this is for women who truly want to heal from chronic pain, whether it be headaches, pelvic pain, back pain, fibromyalgia, so you can move your body freely, and do all the things you love again. We also have a Facebook um, four-day pain freedom challenge going on starting today, Monday, September 26th, and it's going through Thursday, September 29th. So there still is time to sign up. Just head over to our podcast details and sign up for our Facebook group, Pain Free Life Squad, because you could potentially win a free one-to-one coaching session with me. So don't delay. You got to sign up soon. And it ends the Thursday, September 29th this week. All right, uh, everybody, let's get on to the show. And now I'm obligated to tell you our disclaimer that Anna Esperham, MD, is a medical doctor, but she is not your doctor and she is not offering medical advice on this podcast. So if you are in need of professional advice or medical care, you must seek out the services of your own doctor or healthcare professional, as this podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, medical, or psychological services or advice. And none of the content on this podcast prevents, cures, or treats any mental or medical condition, as you are responsible for your own physical, mental, and emotional well-being decisions, choices, actions, and results. Health is Power, LLC, disclaims any liability for your reliance on any opinions or advice contained in this podcast. Hey, everyone. I am super excited to have Rick Olderman here, who is an orthopedic physical therapist and um, He has been in physical therapy for more than 25 years and obviously helps people with chronic pain, which I'm super excited about because we're going to kind of dive in to uh, chronic pain and kind of correcting a lot of musculoskeletal imbalances as well. So, uh, oh, and your clinic is in Denver, Colorado, which is where I'm from, Rick.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't know you were from here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Littleton, a little bit south oh. of Denver, but that's where I grew up. And then I went yeah. to um, Boulder, Colorado, uh, the University of Colorado, where I majored in wildlife biology, not oh. uh, not medicine. I thought I was going to be a wildlife biologist.
1: <laughs> You've had a circuitous path, I think. <laughs> well, there's no job.
0: There was no jobs in wildlife biology uh, yeah. back in Colorado then. So, you know, medicine's <laughs> the obvious next choice, but anyway, welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you and um, talk about chronic pain because this is what we're really focused on right now. Um, And I really want to ask you, I know a lot of physical therapies treat a lot of pain, but what made you decide to really hone in on your specialty?
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm sports and orthopedic and and I I wouldn't say I I specialize in chronic pain, but that's kind of where things ended up going (laughs) because one of the reasons is there's such a high demand. Uh, there's so much chronic pain out there. And, uh, before I, I got into PT school, I, I mean, I suffered from my own back pain and I was treated by a physical therapist and and that helped for a week or two, but then it came back. And so part of physical therapy school was me wanting to learn the insider secrets to solving back pain. And, um, intuitively entering PT school, I felt that I was having pain because of something I was doing with my body, which kind of makes sense. We're causing our pain on some level. And, but, but that's not how back pain was approached in school. It was more of a component thinking standpoint, which is just looking at the tissues that become damaged and treating those tissues. But there was nothing, almost absolutely nothing that talked about why those tissues were irritated which in my mind was the secret I was hoping for why are this why is this happening not that it's happening and so this bore out in my first job after pt school i felt i was a miserable failure because i couldn't really help anyone with chronic pain issues yeah sprains strains and post surgery surgery yeah that's easy but when it came to anything more chronic i had no clue It was luck if I got someone better. So that's when I decided I I can either quit PT or I can try and figure this out, which, you know, uh, smarter people than me have have been PTs and apparently not gone down this road. And so I it was a daunting task, but I just felt like if I want to remain in this field, I have to figure this out.
0: Yeah, you and me both. Cause uh, when I, after I graduated from pediatrics residency and then did integrative medicine, um, get got my board certification, I was just starting to see all this chronic pain. And honestly, Rick, we I don't even remember having a single headache or pain other than addiction, opioid addiction or substance abuse um, in my medical school or residency training. So I honestly had no clue. And that, I mean, I kind of fell into it as well because that's why I went and got my medical acupuncture certification and went and Mm -hmm. got more pain and headache training. But it is interesting how, yeah, we really, the, the, our current training system is not set up for healing chronic pain. And that's why I think we have to really use our skills and our experience and try and figure it out, um, ourselves.
1: Yeah. And so that's what I've been doing these last 25 years. And, uh, you know, I've noticed a lot of your, uh, stuff is about headaches and you went to a headache specialist and it would be interesting to go down that road if you want to, to talk about my take on, on But we can talk about anything you want.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, headaches is a is a good one because you know I I treat a lot of headaches and a lot in kids actually and young adults right now at a at a pediatric academic medical center. But you know, I do send a lot of our kids to physical therapy uh, because we do see a lot of imbalances, um, a lot of musculoskeletal imbalances, posture issues. Um, I do see a lot of uh, neck tightness. So whether it be their scalings, their levator scapula, um, they have shoulder pain as well. I mean, tight upper traps. So I would love to hear your take on headache and management.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and I'll leave you with one simple test that you can do to determine the source of all of these headaches, neck pain, and shoulder issues, uh, by the time we're done speaking. So the surprising thing about, uh, neck pain and headaches is that it really has almost very little to do with neck pain, neck or head. So it's really about the shoulder girdle system. And, uh, if, and I'm just going to use my skeleton, I know your viewers can't see it, but uh, I, I just want to show you, and I'll describe it as as we go.
0: Yeah, and I'll see if I can get um, video clips, guys. I'll see if I have time to do video clips on on Instagram or on the website.
1: Okay. Well, if if you if your viewers uh, Google the shoulder blade, they'll see that it's a broad, flat bone. It's a triangular shaped bone. There's only one other bone in the body that looks like this, and that's one of the pelvic bones, the ilium. All right. And so we all know that the pelvis and the ilium are the center of function for a lower body system and low back. Similarly, the shoulder blade serves the same function for the upper body system, head and neck. And so if, they, if you further Google the muscles attaching from the shoulder blade to the head and neck, you'll see significant attachments into the head. In fact, the, the trapezius inserts into the base of the skull, all the way down, all the vertebrae down to the low back and back into the shoulder blade. And then there's this other little guy beneath it called the levator scapula, which inserts into C1 through 4, and sometimes 5, depending on how you're built. So uh, the, and then there's one other big player is the serratus anterior. So the shoulder blade, if the big guys, basically, this is how chronic pain works in the body. If big muscles that are supposed to be doing jobs aren't working well, the effort then falls to the smaller muscles to, to pick up the slack. And that. In the shoulder and neck system is what happens with the levator scapula. And that's why when people are saying, oh, it hurts right here, and they're always pointing to that upper trap, well, what they're actually pointing to is the levator scapula deep to the upper trap that's attaching in the cervical bones. So uh, what happens is the most typical problem that is happening with the shoulder blade system is that it's resting too low. So there are rules about how this should be resting and moving. And one of those is that the the spine of the shoulder blade should be resting at thoracic level two. And most people uh, with chronic neck pain, shoulder pain, or headaches, their shoulder blades are resting at thoracic level three or even four. Uh, There are other rules. I won't go into all of the rules about, about the shoulder blades, but know that these are definitive rules. And its whole purpose is when you raise your arm up, the shoulder blade is supposed to help elevate that arm. And that's almost never happening in people with chronic neck pain and shoulder, shoulder pain. Part of why is the shoulder blade becoming dysfunctional? Well, one of them, one of the reasons is our idea of how posture should be created is that we should be, and you'll hear this in yoga, Pilates, dance classes, gymnastics, you'll see it in swimmers, is that we need to bring our shoulder blades together and down into our back pockets to create good posture. Well, that is the opposite of correct scapular function. So by creating, and and I believe that this has drifted into our lexicon of, of movement from dance, because dance is about creating a long, graceful, beautiful neck. Well, to create a long, graceful, beautiful neck, you have to depress your shoulder plates. And so this is carried over into yoga, Pilates, and gymnastics for sure, and oftentimes, uh, uh, swimming as well. But I don't believe that this is a true yoga uh, cue. I believe it's been entered into the yoga lexicon in the past probably 50 years because of dance's influence. And so if you look back at the old yoga training, I don't think you'll ever see any yoga master who recommended that you bring your shoulder blades down and back in the opposite back pockets. So anyway, what happens is people are training their shoulder blades to be down which is turning off, this is the opposite of what the serratus and the upper trapezius are supposed to do. And so they don't get to be used to position the shoulder blade correctly. Well, then we're left with the levator scapula. The name says what it does, levator elevates. So now it's the sole pinky muscle that's trying to lift this whole girl system against all of our training to bring the shoulder blades down. And there's a very easy test to determine whether this is happening to you. And you could use this as, as a physician, especially since you see this a lot um, in your clinic. And that is, it's, I call it the armpit test. I developed it myself, and it takes about a minute to do. So what your listeners would have to do is find someone to do this for them. So I'll, I'll just describe it real quickly. It's an easy test. So what they would do first is move their head around, look up, look down over your shoulders and determine where your pain is, how how bad it hurts, your lack of movement, all that kind of stuff. Then what you have someone do is stand behind you and they put their hands in your armpits and they lift up the shoulder blades about an half an inch or an inch, all right? And so what that's doing is it's unloading the shoulder girdle system from the levator scapula and the upper trapezius muscles. And so you have to jiggle their hands around a little bit to make sure that they are completely relaxing their system and letting you have it. Because people who have had chronic pain up here have a hard time of letting that go. So it may take 30 seconds, may take a minute, but you kind of jiggle that around and then you have them move their head around again, look up, look down and so forth. And most people, probably 99% of anyone with chronic neck pain or headaches will find that their range of motion has instantly improved and their pain has reduced. Why? Because we've removed the shoulder girdle system from the stressor from stressing their neck and head. Oh. And then the second part of the test then is to lower the shoulder girdle system back down. This is especially effective for people who don't report any change in their neck pain and headaches. Once you lower that back down and, and give it back to that person, then they're just like, oh my gosh, now I feel it. Now I see what you're talking about. You know, because now you have put that weight back on their brain didn't understand what that meant to have it off because it's a completely new sensation. So it doesn't have a, a it doesn't have the wherewithal to determine that. And this is especially for people who are tense, lower in the shoulder girdle system back down. They'll feel the weight of their shoulder blades again and they won't like it. So that's an easy test to determine if this is a problem in you very effective, very fast.
0: Yeah. I got to probably start doing that with my patients because what, what we see often is, um, we do, well, we, we've been doing a lot of nerve blocks like occipital nerve blocks and it, they're there, they have a lot of trigger point, um, mm-hmm. areas. And so I wonder if almost that might be one of the bigger triggers for them.
1: Uh, I'll tell you, Dr. Anna, in the last twenty years that I've been practicing, anyone with chronic neck pain or headaches, I can't remember the last patient that this wasn't the problem.
0: I could see that. I know it's a big problem in me. Um, ever since I was in a car accident, I've I've always had that issue with the the levator scapula. But I've always been taught to um, strengthen that area by depressing my
1: That's shoulder blade. And down. most people are, and so this is what is perpetuating. It's, it's that myth, uh, I, I believe it has to have come from dance. I don't understand anywhere else this huh. cueing could have come from.
0: Yeah. So just okay.
1: watching you sit at your desk, I can see that you're not using the arms of your chair.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? right? So we can go into an ergonomic solution for this problem too, because most people are working at a computer all day long. So when you're working at your computer, your arms should be resting at the seam of your shirt. And the elbows, uh, should be resting probably usually for most people about a half inch to an inch higher than what they think, and what they'll feel is that their shoulders are resting higher. Oh. Well, if they're resting a little bit higher, that means that you've un- you've taken the load off of those connections from your shoulder blade to your cervical to your neck, the levator scapula and the upper trap. So by resting the elbows a little bit higher and closer to your body, if you just hold your arms like this wherever your hands are is where your keyboard should be. And if your keyboard isn't there, then you need to figure out how to make it there because that is the ideal position for your keyboard. A lot of people with unilateral pain are people who work with mouse, right? So I once saw the guy's 20 years of neck pain by just having to move his mouse closer to his keyboard gone in two days. So when you, the more you reach your hands away from this ideal position, the less supportive your scapular girdle muscles are. And the more you have to rely on your levator scapula and your upper trapezius with, which then is causing all those trigger points that you're talking about in the neck, base of the skull, the suboccipital muscles, all that stuff that probably your listeners have heard and been massaged or, or, or injected or whatever. So if you're working It's better to make your desk and ergonomics fit you rather than you fit your workspace. So this is actually where your hands should be. The problem with a lot of females is that they are smaller than most ergonomic chairs allow. So in order for this to work, you need to be able to bring those arms of your chairs all the way into your waist so that you can rest your elbows there. But most arms don't go in that. And so what I ask people to do, and if you can do this just to test this out, bring a couple pillows from home, fold them in half and shove them in your chair between your body and your arm of your chair. And that will be high enough and close enough where you can feel the difference in in your shoulders. Try this for a week. Notice whether your neck pain or headaches go away or feel much better. If they do, then what you're doing again is unloading that shoulder girdle system from the neck and the base of the skull very Uh, simple
0: that makes total sense yeah the chairs are humongous at work yes i I mean i'm just like this little tiny thing in the right yes
1: yeah yeah Uh, exactly so even though it's ergonomics so you know i don't recommend people go out and buy expensive ergonomic chairs or anything like that you can just use these pillows as your as your solution if you want and by the way if, if you're small, it would be helpful to put a pillow in, be, in the back of your chair too, to bring the back of your chair to your spine so then you can signal your spine to start relaxing as well. Yeah. And that's, that's more for back pain. But anyway, uh, if you do want to get an er- ergonomic chair, my recommendation is to first figure out exactly what you need. And this pillow position will show you exactly what you need. Then you can look for chairs that can do this. Then you won't waste your money.
0: Perfect. Okay. Good. They're expensive. Oh yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Um, I was going to ask you also about driving, um, and how, because some people obviously can drive, you know, an hour, sometimes two hours or maybe even more, who knows, um, what is the perfect position for driving?
1: Yeah so I would often go out to my patients cars and bring a couple little foam pillows and pillows and things like that to experiment because you know every car is built differently some have those middle consoles that are low some are high the are the the arm of the armrest of the door is low or high or small or non-existent so what you need to do is keeping this idea in mind if you believe that this is the source the cause of your pain you need to bring some pillows out to your car and experiment with what feels best for you that will reproduce this ideal position that you just discovered for your office chair. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I, that's what I need to do. Cause I, I have to drive several hours sometimes to get to my work. And then after I drive, I have that neck
1: <laughs> pain. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of people complain that, oh, well, this isn't me because my shoulders are up here all the time because of stress. Well, you're, that's only how your brain is registering what's happening because you've got this little tiny levator scapula trying to pull it up. And so your brain is getting these signals that your shoulders are too high because the one little muscle that's trying to solve everything is that's its job. It's trying to get you up there, but it can't. And so people say, Oh, my shoulders are resting." No, they're not resting too high. It's that your levator scapula is too activated. So we turn it off by supporting the shoulder girdle. So it doesn't have to do all that work anymore. I mean, your shoulder girdle and arm system weigh about 15 to 20 pounds. So think of a little pinky holding up 15 to 20 pounds all day long. No. No wonder it hurts.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense.
1: All right. And so this often occurs asymmetrically. For instance, I see in your shoulders, you have asymmetrical shoulder height. Mm -hmm. All right. So the dominant shoulder should always be lower than the non-dominant and by your shoulder height, you, it looks like you should be left-handed, but I'm guessing you're not
0: right. You're right-handed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, But your left shoulder is lower.
0: Yeah. So what
1: happens when I see a non-dominant shoulder that's sitting lower than the other shoulder, that tells me that there's a more significant issue going on with that shoulder blade system because even just resting it's off. And so, um, Where I'm going with that is that uh, just putting in support Mm -hmm. underneath the shoulder blades will solve even those problems at least temporarily for you to see whether this is what is the root of your issue. Okay. And most physical therapy doesn't go into this because this is a systems-based solution rather than a component-based solution. Physical therapy will target like what you were talking about, trigger points suboccipital muscles, you know, a rotated vertebrae, an arthritic change, a disc height issue. But that's a response to the stressors. It's not the cause. This is the cause, the shoulder girdle system.
0: Okay. And so it's not necessarily what you're talking about, the component-based physical therapy. It's not necessarily having to strengthen the rhomboids, for example. Okay.
1: Unless that they are weak and at right. the root of the shoulder blade dysfunction
0: okay okay that makes sense yeah no that's yeah blowing my mind here okay and so and this
1: also goes into i'm sorry to interrupt but this also goes into the rib cage function yeah so the shoulder blades rest on the rib cage and it's possible that one side of the rib cage is lower than the other right this is described and this go, gets a more a little bit more into back issues but you can have one side of a pelvis that's higher and one side of a rib cage that's lower i call that a side bending problem so if you have a side bending problem for instance let's say your left side is resting lower let's say that you have a left side bending problem maybe your left shoulder is resting lower because your rib cage is resting lower and that's where it's trying to rest fix the rib cage and we fix the shoulder girdle so i'm sorry to interrupt but that's that's how we get into the systems and then Why does the side bending problem happen? Well, the side bending problem is occurring usually because of a problem with the lower body system that's causing the body to respond. You remember the the withdrawal reflex that you were taught in medical school, Mm -hmm. right? We're all born with it. It's one of the things, but even though we grow out of the responding reflexively to all of those reflex patterns, they remain hardwired in our body. And if we have a problem with some side of our lower body system, our brain taps into that withdrawal reflex pattern to get off of that painful side. Well, that pattern involves contracting the waist muscles, which both attach to the the pelvis, as well as the rib cage, which will then pull the rib cage down and the pelvis Mm -hmm. up. So that's why a lower body problem will cause a side bending problem, potentially. Mm -hmm. And the side bending problem could potentially be causing the upper body issues.
0: Uh, That makes sense. Okay. So this
1: is what systems thinking is about. And when it's not that difficult, I mean, it it makes intuitive sense and it works. And this is what people are missing when they have chronic pain. Physical therapists, at least are not looking at things like this. Okay. In this way.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I, I'm starting to learn about the systems based thinking just by taking, I'm taking some osteopathic, um, manipulative medicine courses, and this is exactly what they're talking about. Um, this, you know, left side venting your pelvis, one side of your pelvis being lower than the others. And, you know, before I, we well, never learned any of that, you know, especially as an MD. And so no, you yeah.
1: shouldn't, yeah. it's, it's, it's not in your purview. It's, it's in a physical therapy purview. Yeah. And so you know, one of the biggest things that's causing the pelvic and rib cage, I don't know if they'll mention this in your osteopathic medicine, is the gait pattern. Our gait pattern or how we walk is what's often contributing to the existence of that side bending problem.
0: How so? Like um um whether we have like plantar fasciitis or something and and
1: Oh, it could be plantar fasciitis, but again, plantar fasciitis is occurring because of a gait problem okay so the most common problem that's occurring with gait is that people will lock their knees when they stand and walk and what that is doing is creating is turning off key musculature in the pelvis and it causes the calf and soleus complex to become too tight Mm -hmm. which then when that becomes too tight the knee can't pass over the foot and when that happens that force that's of of the body trying to move forward has to go someplace. So you've got 26 bones in the foot and 26 joints for that to absorb that force or the foot will say, no, I'm gonna pass you back up to the knee or the hip or the back. And so gait issues feed down into the foot or into the knee, into the hip, into the back, but it's all part of the same system of problems.
0: And we lock our knees because it is easier?
1: Yes. It's an energy conservation move.
0: Okay. I didn't right. notice that. Okay.
1: You start noticing it in your patients. You'll notice that when they're standing around for more than a minute, their knees are going to be locked. Okay. Most, most people. And okay. so this especially occurs in females who have had children because as that fetus grows in the belly and the woman is gaining weight they their thighs have a hard time holding them up so they lock their knees more and more and then this may, this creates a whole bunch of changes in the in the in the system however when the baby is born even though that weight is gone that habit has been created and so that's why i believe women are more prone one of a few reasons why women are more prone to have back and sciatic issues is because, or plantar fasciitis or whatever, uh, is one of the reasons is because of this thing that they've learned to do during pregnancy uh, to be able to carry their body and their baby.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something as simple as that in terms of what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. I mean, Yes. okay.
1: Fixing gait is one of the most powerful fixes for low back and any lower body system problem. You have okay. to fix the gait pattern because ultimately, all whatever, even if you have plantar fasciitis, it's going to manifest in your gait pattern in some way, and it becomes this vicious cycle. The gait is causing the plantar fasciitis. The plantar fasciitis is causing the gait, or the, you could call it SI joint pain or sciatic pain or back pain or hip pain or knee, whatever. You've got to fix both the habit and the tight or weak issues that are occurring because of the habit.
0: Oh, okay. So is it, you have to work with a physical therapist who knows how to work with the gait pattern?
1: Well, that would be helpful. And that's what I'm trying to do (laughs) because a lot of physical therapists were taught gait differently in PT school. And I don't believe it's correct. And I don't believe it goes deeply enough because uh, the reason is, is because gait is usually taught um, without a systems approach in mind. So what Gait is taught is if they have knee pain, oh, are their knees pointed in? Then tell them to point their knees out. Well, what if their knees are pointed in because of how their thigh bone is shaped, a retroverted or antverted femur? Well, we have to understand that. What if they have uh, ligament laxity? Maybe that's the cause of it. So there's just a whole bunch of reasons behind Gait uh, of why you're seeing what you're seeing.
0: And so, I mean, in terms of talking about one of the most common uh, chronic pain issues um, is, you know, especially in women, I mean, they can have also chronic hip pain, but a lot of chronic low back pain, Yes. but without any tissue damage. I mean, there's no, um, no herniated disc, no degenerative disc. And what
1: does that tell you as a doctor?
0: Well, In terms of my world, I take a look because I treat a lot of chronic pain, but I also treat a lot of stress and emotional and trauma issues Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of emotional pain can reside in the body. But I know there are also imbalances in the body as well. And especially with the pelvic floor too. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of issues in women with our pelvic floor that uh, do become imbalanced that also can actually manifest in back pain.
1: Correct. And so, but what are causing the pelvic floor imbalances? What is? Gait is often one of the big things. It's
0: gait, that's what I was thinking, okay.
1: Right, so that's, so my career has been more about continuing to ask the question, why? Yes, but why is this happening? You know, why is that pelvic floor imbalance there? Why are those trigger points happening? And that's what I've been chasing down these last 20, 25 years. And at all, I'm not saying that gait, your walking pattern is the cause of everything, but it's one of the biggies if you have lower body and back, back pain issues. And there are asymmetries that have developed in the body because of the gait pattern, tightness or weakness issues. For instance, if you lock your knees, your butt muscles turn off, okay? So if your butt muscles turn off, well, they have a lot of different functions for the hip area and the pelvis. One of the things that occurs is uh, they, are, they are there to control the tracking of the hip bone in the socket. When the butt turns off, then that hip bone starts to careen around that socket. It's called an anterior femoral glide syndrome, and it causes all sorts of types of hip issues like groin pain, bursitis, piriformis syndrome, SI joint issues, sciatic issues, arthritic, you know, Arthritic hip pain is often blamed, even though there's arthritis, many people with arthritis have no pain. So what's the difference? Often it comes down to the fact that the thigh bone is not being controlled correctly in the hip socket. Why? Because of the locking of the knees, turning off the glutes, which is turning off the major controller of that whole system.
0: Right. Turning off the glutes. Yeah. That's always what my physical therapist always tells me. My, yeah. I don't activate my glutes. So act, so right. I've been trying to activate my glutes, but then but they, they, when I don't activate my glutes anymore, when I'm not working on it, it just comes right back.
1: Right. And this is because they've only told you how to turn on your glutes. They haven't told you how to move, use your body to turn on your glutes. And this is the, this is the, the, the missed message is that yes, You need to turn on your glutes, but we don't know how to. We haven't in physical therapy looked closely enough at why are the glutes turning off in the first place?
0: Well, a lot of people also told me it's sitting
1: too. Yeah. But why, why would that also turn off while standing and walking? Yes, they're turned off and sitting. They're supposed to, but they're supposed to turn back on when you're standing and walking.
0: Yes, true. Right? And if you're not
1: standing and walking correctly, then, then they're going to stay turned off.
0: Okay. Okay. Gosh. Yeah. I, this gate issue is a big one, isn't it?
1: So it is a biggie.
0: How, how do you, since this is really, you're the first one talking about this that I know of, um, especially I work with a lot of, you know, physical therapists. I work with a lot of healthcare practitioners and, um, this is something new for me. How, It's new for everyone. everyone. (laughs) How how do we, so how do we work on this? I mean, where do, do you offer certain services online or do people have to see you in person? I mean, how does it work?
1: No, I, I I owned a physical therapy clinic for the last 10 years. And what I, what I learned from that was I learned that these things are occurring in patterns. Mm -hmm. It's not just that something's happening in you and then something happened different is happening in someone else what's happening is the same pattern of dysfunction is occurring but in you it might manifest as back pain in someone else it might manifest as SI joint pain or hip pain or knee pain so and that's all based on your particular exercise trauma history all sorts of things right so once I figured out that these are patterns of dysfunction that are that are manifested differently in different people based on their histories, that made it much more more simple to solve. And so, uh, and that's what owning my clinic has taught me. So I've created these downloadable home programs to solve these patterns of problems in people, regardless of whether you have SI joint pain, sciatic pain, back pain. It's going to be all the same solution, and so uh, which will solve it so uh those can be found on uh at www.fixingyoumethod.com and then i believe that all practitioners should learn this it's so simple i mean just as i explained it to you it's not that it's not much more complicated than our conversation we've had today dr anna it's not hard to grasp this stuff it makes sense and so uh and i believe that not only medical professionals should have this information but personal trainers, Pilates, yoga, coaches, doctors, anybody who works with people with movement and pain should understand exactly how movement is causing pain and how to solve it. It only makes sense. Then we could get rid of chronic pain because most people who develop problems, they don't come to me first. They don't come to you first. They'll go to their personal trainer or their yoga instructor or their Pilates or whomever, right? We're like way down the road. Right. So why not help the people who are seeing them first nip it in the bud? Yeah. So yeah. I created a, 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 a training program that can be done online uh, at healpatientsfaster.com. And if you type in fixing you, all one word, into either of those sites in the coupon code, you can get 20% off.
0: Oh, great. Uh, okay.
1: That. And for physical therapists listening out there, uh, this course in most states off is. Uh, offered for 30 ceu credits which is extraordinary uh, that that's a lot
0: <laughs> that yes uh, yeah, exactly wow it's great it's that you It's comprehensive worked. <laughs> Ooh, you're giving CU credits. that's uh yeah. that's intense. Okay, good. No, that's awesome. I want to take a look at it um since I yeah, deal with a lot of pain myself yeah. and and so I probably will take a look into that course. and you also have a podcast and you have a couple books out too. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about those?
1: Oh, sure. I have a podcast that's called Talk about Pain. and uh, a lot of it is my mu <laughs> on what what we're doing wrong and how to how to correct it and i'll I'll, you know i'll respond to a lot of newspaper articles and that are coming out uh you know washington post or you know wall street journal or new york times uh and then i'll also have guests on there um to talk about how they solve pain so that's that's a it's my little podcast. <laughs> it's
0: and great. then,
1: yeah. And then what was the other thing you asked? The
0: books. I, I saw the you had yeah. that. Uh-huh, a couple of yeah. books. Yeah.
1: So the, I, I wrote these books maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And the reason I, and this is a really important uh, point. I'm glad you brought it up. I wrote these books. So I first learned the biomechanics of how to solve pain from Dr. Shirley Sarmon, who's a researcher out of uh, Washington University in St. Louis, PhD, PT, teaches the medical school musculoskeletal system over there. And so anyway, she wrote these, these great books and had these seminars. And I became friends with a PT throughout the seminars. And so at the end of these seminars, uh, maybe a year or two later, I ran into him. And I said, hey, how's this working for you? He says, eh, you know, maybe I'll just use some of it for a home program or something. I said, what are you talking about? This is solving a lot of difficult pain issues, chronic pain. He says, yeah, but I'm a manual therapist. So this doesn't really kind of go with what I do. And it was at that moment that I realized that we as medical professionals are filtering the information that we receive through our filter of our belief system. And so his belief system was that he needed to solve everything using his hands. Fortunately, I was so, uh, so much of a failure at that point. I hadn't developed a strong belief system about how to solve pain, other than my intuitive sense that it has to be doing something to do with how I'm using my body. So this fit in perfectly for me, but, and it's not only medicine. I mean, it happens in law, it happens in any career. We all have belief systems that filter out information or data that we wouldn't normally look at. Um, yeah, I, I could go on, but but anyway, that's why I wrote my books 10 or 12 years ago to go around these people. So Cause I felt that the patients weren't benefiting from information that was out there that could benefit them so that was my end around and then uh then these more recent home downloadable home programs were my bigger learning of these patterns of dysfunction that's, that are occurring in just about everybody
0: wow yeah that's so, amazing. so
1: the books are are great they're found on amazon they're they're the fixing you series of books and they they have helped a lot of people but the downloadable home programs are much more comprehensive and, uh, current.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would probably, and I'm sure it has videos too. You're down. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all and, video.
1: Okay, So good. it's me taking you through the exercises. I have taping techniques. I have habit corrections because that all needs to happen to solve pain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's much easier to learn on video. Um, yeah. and I think it's also easier to learn via course. It, it's good to get the knowledge from the book and have awareness. Um, And then next step is definitely those courses. So I think that's awesome that you have that out there for everyone. I'll definitely take a look and uh, learn from you, Rick. So I'm so happy you were on the podcast today and talking about this gait pattern, our shoulder girdle. I'm going to make a few Changes to my um, chair, uh, I'm good. gonna try, I'm good. gonna do the pillows for um, definitely a few weeks and see, I don't know, I'll have to You should out... know
1: within a few days.
0: Oh, a few days, okay, good. Even
1: even, even one day. Okay. This is the beauty of the body is once you find a solution, your body responds almost immediately to that solution because pain is an indicator that something is wrong now if you fix that thing now, the pain will go away now. Even if you've had 20 years of pain, it can go in a day if you do the right thing. So it, that's all it is, is that no one else has given you the right information yet. That's why you're still in pain. You're not broken. It shouldn't take 20 years to fix it. It can be simple. It really can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, and I know it's always been that shoulder issue. Cause every time I'm doing something, like if I'm driving for long hours, it, it, I just have that pain flare. And so I was mm-hmm. like, well, I got to try and figure something out. And then when I'm, when I'm sitting at the chairs at work, which are humongous, <laughs> then yes. it, at the end of the week, I start noticing this neck tension and I'm just like, yeah. oh man. So that yeah. totally, uh, that totally makes sense. So I'll make a few changes and then, um, I'll even probably have a, another episode and let everybody know about it as well well. So this is perfect. Thanks so much. And
1: I hope I didn't geek out too much on the medical terminology, but I, you know uh, I'm happy to come back and drill down deeper into anything that you want to talk about more deeply.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause we are right now at health is power just because I'm, I have my chronic pain group coaching program for women. um, I, and it's just an epidemic right now, um, especially for, I mean, not only you know, women, but men as well, but women have mm. a lot more issues with chronic pain just because of our hormones. And so I, I think it's a huge need. And I also, I mean, and I'm in, I'm an integrative pain doc and I don't even know about this stuff, Rick.
1: Well, it's not your training though.
0: No. Yeah just imagine how many people need this, you know what I'm saying? Um, and and it's great that you have a podcast. It's great that you, of course, it's great that you've got the books out there. And so hopefully we can have you back on um, and drill down a little bit more, maybe even do a little bit of a series or something.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. I, and I, I describe it as, you know, I don't expect shoulder surgeons to know this information about the shoulder girdle and the neck and all that, because their training is about becoming the best shoulder surgeon, just as no one should expect me to understand current shoulder surgery techniques. It's just not when I'm designed, you know, I'm not trained to do that. So this is the hard part as being a patient is you have to understand really who is the best trained person for this type of problem. You know, it's, it's hard to figure that out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I do like that especially with your beliefs that you just have a growth mindset. And so you're, you know, continually learning and always, yeah. And it's, you're just not, well, what you learned in school is just the way to go. There's nothing else. And it's, we, I just don't think we know everything and you it's as gonna, well. Yeah, yeah. It's a constant learning process and everything is going to keep evolving. And so, um, So, yeah, I'd love to have you back on the show and maybe we can even do, you know, something on pelvic floor, you know, hip pain, back pain, um, and, you know, go on from there. Cause we did a great one on, um, headaches, uh, today. That was so awesome. Just that shoulder girdle, um, kind of really stabilizing that, um, especially with our posture. And, uh, so anything else that you want to leave the audience with today before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I just, you know, my message to most people is, uh, you know, um, I, I believe that we have three things that are contributing to our chronic pain. There are three big pillars of problems. One is the muscular, everyone has some threshold. And the closer we get to that threshold, the, the more easy it is to push us over that threshold. So there are three big problems that, that push us towards that pain threshold. One is musculoskeletal issues, which is what I specialize in. Another is dietary allergens, mold, things that we ingest. And then the third is emotional trauma because that emotional trauma can turn on these patterns of dysfunction more deeply in the body. And so some people's solutions will be all musculoskeletal while others will be a combination of three. Um, So that's the other thing that we have to contend with. Uh, Fortunately, when I solve musculoskeletal issues, the results are so consistent. If someone isn't responding the way they should, I immediately either suspect a tear of some sort that's been undiagnosed or another issue with a dietary or emotional trauma. And I've developed a trust with that patient to breach that with them and inquire.
0: Yeah. And
1: so that we should always keep these things, I think, in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I approach it too. I mean, I add, I add a a little bit of spiritual kind of foundations to a lot of people with chronic pain and also, um, you know, long-term infectious processes too, which is very similar to dietary triggers or mold, Mm -hmm. for example. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, but it is, you can break it down. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. you you can definitely
0: break chronic pain down and you can really work on all the different aspects that um, eventually you you can heal from chronic pain. You can. And I know a lot of doctors say that you can't, but you can heal from chronic pain. And I know they say there's no cure, but really you are the cure to chronic pain. And, and you just need a little bit of help, a little bit of tools and the medical system itself by itself, you know, even just one pain doctor may not be that, that one right. person that's going to take care of you it might it's it's usually takes a village so we've got you the physical therapist working on those um, systemic patterns you know me with the emotional and the spiritual side of things um and that I also with my background in integrative and functional medicine the nutrition and mm-hmm. all that goes into that yes. so so yeah it's it's I, quite a process I've,
1: have you noticed i've noticed this recently in the literature is that they're describing chronic pain as a disease
0: Yes. um, Yes. And they are. I think that's
1: bothersome.
0: It is bothersome because, and well, what's even more bothersome is, since I work in the pain field, is that oftentimes when the patients or the parents call um, and, and they're in distress and they're in pain and nothing's working, the medications aren't working, then guess what some say? Some of the healthcare practitioners say, sorry, there's no cure. You're just going to have to deal with it. Mm. Right? Yes. Uh, because that's what the literature says. It's a disease process. There's no cure. We haven't found a cure yet. We haven't found the medication that's the cure, but that's <laughs> that's not true.
1: That's where all of their belief systems come in, right? Right. Because they're not looking at evidence out there that goes against their belief system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why I, I thought having this coaching program and really focusing on chronic pain in the podcast right now is really important because I see a lot of women who are just believing, um, in that and what they're told, and Mm -hmm. it's just not true. And so it's really trying to have that thought reversal, um, and overcome those challenges and limiting beliefs that oftentimes, unfortunately our healthcare system, you know, can, uh, perpetuate, um, just because of, we're so reliant on a lot of pharmaceuticals and procedural methods.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the parenthetical statement that they should keep in mind is when there, someone hears that there's no cure for this, that we know, that, that I know of, not that we know of. Right. Because we collectively as a medical system, all the, there's so much evidence out there. It's yeah. that they personally don't know of because they haven't looked into those other branches of medicine that might, that are generating research to help them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yet. So um, I always always love that word yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
0: it's great to have you. Um, I'll put all your links um, to your courses that you have on our podcast details. Everyone also in the show notes on healthispowherd.com. And then um, we'll hopefully have you on the show in a couple months.
1: Yeah, anytime, whatever works for you. All
0: right. Thanks, Rick.
1: Thanks, Dr. Anna.
0: Thanks for listening all the way to the end, everyone. I am so thankful you are listening to the Health is Power's podcast, and we do continue to grow. Thanks for your support. And if you have a friend or know of anyone who could benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And also, if you haven't yet, please rate and review the podcast so we can continue to spread this information and get it out to the world and the women in need.